Vincent, the dude. Hey, yo, yo, everybody. Good afternoon from a beautiful, epically beautiful day here in Freight Alley, is it not? Start a little cold, 44 in the morning, getting up to 70 right now. A little 420 action. Happy 420, everybody. Perfect day. If this show ends up being a little hazy to you, you can uh, always watch this on demand. Just look up what the truck every day is a podcast. (laughs) You know, big topic that's going on right now today, very timely, is uh, let's take a look at this picture here. So so a lot of truck drivers a little angry online, right? Because New Jersey announced that police officers can smoke weed off-duty. A lot of truck drivers said, hey, what about us? When is that going to come around to us? Dude, there's just injustices everywhere, my friend. It's the man keeping them down once again. Could be. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> but we got a big show today. We're actually going to talk a little bit about that topic later with the, yeah. with the guys from Back the Truck Up at the end of the show. Big right show on. today, though. Uh, most electric trucks designed in Silicon Valley, but today's are by engineers in Silicon Valley. Today, we're talking to a trucker who's designing an electric truck for truckers, it's Chase Barber, CEO at Edison Motors, uh, Port nice. of Boston. They're big ship ready. They're adding more calls. Lauren Gleason, the deputy port director, she'll be on with us. Uh, can we achieve our goals of sustainability without collaborations? Sheldon Mydat, CEO of Suppico, has some opinions on that. And, uh, oh, I do see Craig Fuller in the green room, too. So let's tip the band, and we'll get right to him. We'll break down this market. We'll see what's going on with the bloodbath. Right Autonomous on. trucks are coming with a huge potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. Start re-engineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at Tell'em, dude. Go to locomation.ai for turnkey solutions directly after this show. And it's Craig Fuller, CEO and founder over at Freight Waves. Also owns that Flying Magazine. Craig, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dooner and the dude. How you guys? We uh, Peace, Tanner, man. Doing t- great. Tanner was just telling me he drove by a truck today with a sticker that said, my other car is an airplane, and uh, it made us think of you. There you go. Well, that's uh, it, I feel and empathize with whoever had that. So, <laughs> Craig, let's uh, let's start at spot rates. Like the market's going nuts. We're looking at this big downhill ski slope in spot rates. That's one of like the first indicators. We're down. We're down like 13 cents last week. We're down 14 cents this week. It's been a steady, systematic decline. What are we seeing here? Yeah, I mean, I think spot rates are are trying to figure out. You know, think about spot rates are sort of a reflection of of the balance of supply and demand in the market. And we've seen a lot of uh, pressure on slowing uh, freight volumes in terms of total number of loads in the market. Uh, It's certainly slowed over the last couple of months. Uh, And uh, because there's been so much capacity built over the past two years, spot rates have not found a lot of support. So um, it takes a while uh, before you'll see the market, quote unquote, bottom out. There's a lot of individual decision makers in the market. And because it is so, so volatile, um, I think the market's looking for the right number to sort of to level out at. And we're not there yet. Yeah. So, Craig, there's a lot of different factors that are going into this different than than other times when the market has kind of softened. Right. Like 218 into 219, completely different situation than we had a high that was not quite as long as the last high that we've had two years. Right. But one of those other ones is, is total fleet count, which we have. I think we have a chart for that one right there. Record numbers of operating authorities coming in, that type of stuff. Does this exacerbate the problem? I mean, it, it's certainly I mean, this is trucking is a volatile commodity. And I think a lot of people get offended when you call trucking a commodity, but it is. I mean, effectively it is a commodity where, you know, a truck that's orange or red or, or blue or white, it doesn't matter what that bumps the dock. So if it's 
if you don't care about the provider necessarily, and it's all about price, then effectively it's a commodity. And what you end up in commodity markets is the balance of supply and demand drives the economics of the industry. And we've added over 170,000 trucks since pre-COVID levels. So it's not just the number of fleets, because a lot of those fleets that have been added are very small trucking companies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's really the total amount of capacity that's been added during that period of time. And we've added 170,000 new dispatchable units into the industry, uh, which is going to drag down a lot of the uh, – it's going to create more supply. And because there is more supply – uh, it means that there are more trucks competing for the total available loads in the market. What am I looking at here? Am I looking at rejects and volume, Michael Vincent? Yeah, so this chart that's up here, Craig, is uh, you've got total volume and then you've got the uh, outbound tender rejects that are going. And it's over the last few years. So it starts at 2018. It kind of shows where we're kind of heading and where 2019 for perspective of, of where we're, we're going there. The purpose, purpose of this was how far do rejections go and how far down do spot market or spot rates go for those smaller fleets and those owner operators as we start to head towards levels that are the volumes are less than 218 going out into 219 eventually here yeah i mean the the reality is that spot you know tender rejections uh can get down if we sort of look at the worst days of covid and this would have been march of 2020 and really april of 2020 is we we saw tender rejections on a national basis around four percent there's always going to be some levels we'll never go to zero um, you're going to see it uh, there. We're still over 10%, so it means that we have a while to go. Uh, it doesn't have to go that low. I mean, it could the market could firm out. We could see a summer surge of freight volume. There's a mm -hmm. lot of reasons to, to be cynical about and skeptical about whether we will get that. Um, but as long as tender rejections continue to fall, then it's going to be hard to get a firm price and a support for spot rates. And it likely means that spot rates will continue to be under pressure. Mm -hmm. So if you want the market to firm up, if you're a trucking company and you want to see spot rates really stop to start to drop or stop dropping, what you really want to do is see that tender rejection really basically bottom out mm -hmm. and start to slowly creep up. It's unlikely in this market that we'll see an acceleration of tender rejections, um, but it it is also possible that we could be getting to a place where there'll be some support. Uh, and if there is support and there are enough rejections in the market, then you'll start to see spot rates sort of bottom out and uh, find some support. But I don't think we're there right now. Now, Craig, I haven't had so many drivers as I have in the past couple of weeks it, ever since I've been at Freightways come up to me and say, I'm thinking of selling the truck. I'm thinking of taking advantage of this used market right now. I'm thinking of parking the truck. I don't want to go through another storm like this right now. Uh, and I think part of it, what they're facing, we can see in this contract spot and fuel dynamics. How do these interplay and how does that impact the smaller owner operator, especially some of those newer ones that just formed in the past two years? Well, I think the you know the reality for trucking fleet operators is that you what drives your cash flow is basically the revenue you generate on the truck, so the rates times the total amount of miles, your average rate across a given week times the total amount of paid miles that you drive gives you sort of a gross revenue base, uh, and and that is the calculation to figure out how much revenue you're taking in. 
then to figure out your profit or your cash flow, it's what did I pay out for the expenses in that given week? And um, you can do this a couple of ways. You can look at your fixed costs, which include your truck payment, includes your insurance, it includes your maintenance. Uh, but you can also go get your variable costs, which would include any salaries you paid to drivers. Uh, it would also include fuel. And so if I'm an owner operator, I'm not paying a salary I'm paying myself, essentially, or I'm taking something off the top to pay myself and pay my bills. Um, it's that fuel cost that really is going to impact you the most. Now, here's the reality about fuel is that most owner operators don't have fuel accounts. If they do have fuel accounts, they'll probably have to pay the fuel bill at the time that they pump or at sort of best case scenario for them is within two to three days. Um, so they're essentially paying for that fuel at the point of sale. And then they have to collect that from a shipper or broker that could take place 30 to 60 days. And so that creates a lot of cash uh, considerations for drivers because when they're out there having to buy fuel, if that bill is paid immediately, but they're not able to collect it for a month, that creates a pretty significant cash flow headwind for these trucking companies. Now, one of the things that's really interesting is, is sort of looking at the math on what this means for an owner operator. If you go back to a driver that uh, you look at the cash flow that they're generated, say in January or Q4 of last year, it came in terms of net cash flow. Again, this doesn't include the driver's salary or any of the money they took in themselves, but just the net cash flow is about thirteen dollars to $15,000 a month. So that's after they paid their fuel bill and after they paid all their bills. So they collected from the shippers, paid their fuel bill, paid all their bills. They walked away the profit about thirteen dollars to $15,000 a month. Really good, really strong numbers. That same driver, based on the current spot rates and the current average utilization in the industry, is taking home approximately seventy five hundred to eighty five hundred a month. So it's about half of what it was uh, versus two months ago. So you think about that. That is why drivers are thinking maybe the time to sell the truck is now. Used truck prices are up to one hundred and thirty six thousand dollars for a three year old vehicle, and a five year old vehicle is around ninety five to one hundred thousand dollars. Those are at unprecedented levels. They're up at least two times since pre-COVID levels. And if the market is softening, if you sort of buy into that thesis, and we certainly believe it's the case, if you buy into that thesis, then we're likely to see used truck prices drop. And if you're thinking, hey, maybe now is the time to get out, maybe now is the time to, to put the truck up for sale, uh, I think that's a probably a wise decision if you're not committed to running this business long term because – uh, it's going to be massive headwinds. I think it's a foregone conclusion by not just by us, but generally a lot of people in the market is that the best days of the cycle uh, are largely behind us. It's not a situation, particularly when we're talking spot rates, mm. that we're going to see better conditions than we saw last year. Yeah. So hey. what about what about this, though? So the counterpoint I hear from some people is like, well, if I sell the truck, then you're looking at this Shanghai map where you have 300 some odd vessels out there. And I think we have the map. I mean, you're, you're seeing this all over the Internet show that in two months from now, is that pressure valve going to break or is the demand just not here like this? We're looking at the echoes of the past. These are all orders from demand that shippers thought would be there. Well, here's the crazy part is that everybody looks at the number of ships, but they have realized that their ships are waiting for freight. 
So there's going to be a period of time when you don't have freight coming into the United mm -hmm. States, into the ports from China. And during that period of time, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult and it's going to be volumes are going to drop, not increase. Now, eventually, hopefully, China sort of turns back on the lights and lets their economy resume some level of normalcy. And we'll see a number of those sh uh, ships sort of come from China to the United States. The reality is nobody knows when that's taking place. We also don't know the situation of supply chains in China. It's a very opaque country. So we don't have a lot of visibility to what's actually happened on the ground. And, and really outside of the Chinese government and uh, really at the top levels of the Chinese government, there's a lot of questions of why this is taking place to begin with. Is it something, is it literally COVID and a zero tolerance policy and a commitment to that? Or is there some other more nefarious mm -hmm. reason that that's mm -hmm. taking place? A lot of speculation about that. And because we don't know and they don't have a press corps and a freedom of press to really provide any information and nobody's certainly providing it. We don't know why this is happening or how long it's going to take. So if it takes a while, there will be a period of time where imports into the United States from China actually drop, not increase. And so what we're talking about is you're going to have to ride that period of time out. If we see, we've seen shipment volumes out of China in terms of loaded ships this past week from April 6th have dropped by 30% versus where we were at prior to that date. So if you look at the last couple of days, uh, shipment volumes out of China are down by 30%. So it suggests that there will be a period of time where we will have the calm before the storm, if you will. Mm. The problem is no one, and I, I don't care who is claiming otherwise, no one knows except the Chinese government how long they're going to keep these lockdowns or how long in distress their internal Chinese supply chains are. Because remember, a lot of those ships that are off the coast are not container ships, they're dry bulk ships and bulk mm. ships that are bringing in raw materials to these factories. So if you're going to produce machinery or parts or auto parts, you've got to get all of those raw materials in, those metals and energy supplies and all of that got to be brought into the country so that you can create those products. We don't know how backed up the Chinese supply chains are. And because we don't have good data, it's very hard to understand how long this process is going to take. And it's very hard to predict the impact to U.S. freight demand once it arrives. We don't know when it's going to arrive. And we don't know how much volume is going to arrive. Uh, wow. Sure words can be spoken, Craig. And, mm -hmm. and I like the answer that there isn't necessarily an answer yet. You don't have to make something up yeah. here. There's stuff that is opaque and that we are in the dark on. Um, we're really this looking the challenge. I mean, a lot of people like to uh, sort of attack the media in the United States, but let's just remember as dysfunctional as our government is in the United States and as dysfunctional as our media is, I think every American would prefer to live in America than China. Sure. Yeah. I, I know I would. I'm well, Craig, thank that. you so much, man. Check check out FreightWaves.com. He's been putting up amazing articles, but even yeah. better, follow him on Twitter at Freight Alley. He breaks down the market multiple times a day, yep. especially with what's going on right now. You don't want to miss his follow, Craig. Uh, see you around the office soon. Take care, brother. See you guys. Take care. Take Peace. care.
Good stuff. Good Excellent stuff. stuff. Always. Well, you saw the port map of Shanghai. Boston does not look that bad, although they are adding more <laughs> calls. Boston is growing. They got big ship ready this year. It's very exciting times. We have Lauren Gleason with us now. She's the deputy port director over at Massport Conley Terminals over there. Lauren, thank you for joining us. Hi, how are you? Keeping Boston strong out there? How are things over at the port these days? Things are going great. Thank you for asking. We can't wait to see you back up here at some point. Um, it has been a very exciting time here in Boston. Um, you know, we are near completion of $850 million in investments. And as we remain congestion-free and working through with all of our ocean carrier partners throughout the pandemic, we've been able to secure two new direct services, um, which will greatly benefit the New England cargo community. Um, so we are working directly now with Zim Lines. Zim um, will be starting a brand new direct Southeast Asia service uh, connecting South China and Vietnam via the Suez Canal to the Port of Boston. Uh, this is very welcome news to um, many uh, companies who are shifting sourcing and manufacturing to this part of the world. Um, and additionally, we continue to work with our longest standing partner of the Port Mediterranean Shipping Company, or MSC, um, in addition to uh, their new service, the Boston Express, will which will continue service through North Europe directly to Boston. We will also, for the first time, have an India direct service. Um, and this is great news for our recycled um, paper and fibers exporters. And this is great news for multiple importers who have shifted to India. Um, so we'll have the Indus 2 service providing direct connectivity from India and also providing direct connectivity to the Mediterranean ports, um, which is very vital for our port, um, especially for the wine and spirits shippers, one of our top commodities through the port, um, you know, really relying on this region of the world. Um, so it's been it's been a great time. And, you know, our goal always is to provide diversified services and as much direct global connectivity as possible for the New England cargo community. Lauren, it's great stuff to hear because when we were talking before, when the, the, the new uh, the cranes came in, the low-profile cranes came in, it was a while before things would start to pick up, and it's really great to see that happening. Are you happy with that success? Are you guys on track with those volumes that you were expecting to start bringing in with those uh, the new services, the expanded port? We are, we are so happy. We are so thankful. These are conversations that have been ongoing for years in the making behind the scenes. And we're so grateful to both Zim and MSC and then, you know, our continued Asia direct service from China as well. Ocean carriers um, are hearing the call from importers and exporters that they're expecting congestion-free solutions. And the Port of Boston has been able to deliver on that. Um, so we're so thrilled to offer these new services, which are starting this spring. Um, and this will really help um, to bring volumes up and increase those volumes directly um, throughout the New England market as well as the Northeast um, in providing any alleviation and what's going on globally with disruption and congestion. That's a great nice. that's great news for exporters too. Anybody who's in the export market knows how much a headache it's been getting out of a lot of ports with with exports. It's sure. Just been a huge challenge. Um, Lauren, I was curious about court, uh, port growth though. Do you know how many like trucks a week have been touching Boston this year? Um, certainly, we can get back to you on the number sure. of trucks per week. But what is great is we have an ample trucking community. We have ample chassis availability. I think we have five to 600 chassis that are currently sitting in our chassis yard, which is just three quarters of a mile down the street from Conley Terminal. Um, so when it comes to providing availability now, we have the trucking community um, who's been such a valuable asset and a fantastic partner. Um, we work with them regularly on the market. We have the chassis availability. We have the equipment. And we're expanding the terminal with 30 additional acres of 
container land side space um, because we want to provide that continued commitment to the supply chain community that we will remain congestion free both at the berth and then on the land side. Well, yeah, you, you think about their situation that's over there, the geographic location. They got a direct shot into Buffalo, Cleveland, Columbus, Chicago. It makes sure. sense to come in through there. Well, if you I, can keep I mean, going. I used to work at Vandergriff over there at, at Nine Dry Dock. And yeah. I would just clear o- fish ocean shipments all day and air shipments as well. A lot yeah. of squid, tentacles, uh, octopus, <laughs> stuff like that coming in frozen nice. on those ships. Yeah, tilapia, all sorts of things. It is. They export out of Boston. Lauren, awesome stuff. Uh, next time I'm out in Boston, next time I visit home, I will let you know. So maybe we can coordinate something, come over to the port and, uh, and talk in person. I miss you guys over there. Um, in the meantime, people who want to utilize the Port of Boston, where should we send them to? So you should send them to um, our LinkedIn profile, which we're very active on, and you can send them to the Port of Boston website, um, massport.com slash Port of Boston, um, and we can make sure that they're accessing our customer toolkit, accessing the services that I call here on a weekly basis, and of course, accessing the contact information um, for both the business development team and the terminal and operations staff that are boots on the ground. Um, what's so great about Conley is we're the owner and operator. So customers that are using the Port of Boston are going to get myself, my staff, and my colleagues direct contact information. It's not a 1-800 number. So you're going to work with uh, humans and, and interact with us directly. It's a big sell. It's it a big is. sell. It absolutely uh, here's is. a little cowbell for your growth and for all the team out there. We love what you guys are doing. And like I said, I'll let you know next time I'm in town. Take care and thanks for your time today. Thank you, Tim. Have a great day. Thanks. Have a good one. Yeah, I've known a lot of people over there for, for years from being out uh, since like 2005. I've gathered. I know. Friends. <laughs> friends. All right, well, we got Sheldon, my dad, a new friend on. He's the CEO at, if I, I hope I'm saying this right, Superco? Superco. Let, let's let him say it. Sheldon, thanks for coming on the show. Guys, thanks for having me on. Yeah, Supico, Supico. I'm not precious, but it is Supico. I knew I would. Right. Word. I knew it's I'd Americanize it. Yeah, so it's a play on, uh, on supplier and eco. Oh, all right. And now it makes sense. Now no, it makes sense. I, have a I unique, thought he was a Serpico fan. I have a unique <laughs> ability to guess wrong on pronouncing just about everything. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, though. So I was looking at what you had sent me. I was looking at the site, and it was a lot about how sustainability and collaboration have to go in line with one another. They 100% do. Um, so look, I, I, I spent... A number of years working with uh, in the enterprise space, um, working with with companies and, and 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 really kind of nailing how we could drive value out of the relationship space rather than the contract space, or or as well as the contract space. Um, the relationship space uh, can, contains uh, a, a, an unlimited array of opportunity to drive value, um, and, and and this is long before before there was anything uh, you know by way of a pandemic. Uh, or, or, or the, the the chronic, well, the, 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 this uh, unrelenting wave of disruption that is now the new norm, mm. um, that has that has really kind of brought it brought it home that the need for 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 driving collaborative relationship driven value, um, you know, over and above the contract space to really drive that resilience. Um, so that that that's kind of how Casapico was was born. Really, it was just a no brainer. Uh, the the idea of taking everything that we learn that, that we've learned over the years and, and shrink wrapping it in into a software solution uh, that could be that could be used in a very very scalable way across supply chain. Um, and, and I'd actually say that 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 extends to driving sustainability within within the relationships within within the supply chain because you can't impose. You know, drive, dr- driving a sustainable practice requires instilling the right kind of behaviors throughout 
your your tier ones and deeper upstream into the supply chain um, where, where, where there is no visibility for customers beyond that, that tier one experience. Um, so in essence, you can't, you, you can't, um, you can't impose it. You, yeah, you can't. You can only behaviors through, 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 through instilling the right relationship driven behaviors. Right. So Sheldon, I always say, you, you if you live intentionally or you run your business intentionally, you can affect sustainability, you can affect the, 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 the environment and, and so on. So Sapico, how does it exactly, what problems is it exactly solving? How does this work? So the relationship space, um, I, I think is accepted, you know, SRM, as we know, supplier relationship management has been around for some years and it's mm-hmm. always been a bit of an, of an intangible and nice to have. Um, and, and you know, supply chain and, and CPOs, um, they, they they they've tended to to push SRM to the curb in favour of a more addressable um, win through 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 contract savings. Um, because as I said, the relationship value, the relationship space was intangible. It's kind of like nailing trying to nail the proverbial jelly to a wall because it's it's subjective. It's it's behaviour led. Um, so we. We we took all of that and we said, well, there, there's a there's a such a, a strategic amount of value uh, locked into that space. We need to we need to turn it into something objective, something that we can we can then manage. Uh, and if we can manage it, we can measure it. And if we can measure it, we can drive value and growth against it. Um, hey. And that's that's the challenge. Uh, it's always been a very very big challenge all these years with SRM. Uh, modern SRM is is a very different thing. Do you think that at the pace we're at, though, current system, and I know this is sort of a broad question, like, for mm. example, like CARB in California, you know, yeah. when a date like a, a January 2023 deadline comes around, you read right. that article in 2020, you're like, okay, they have plenty of time. You yeah. read that in April of 2022 and you see where things are at, you go, eh, maybe, that, <laughs> maybe, maybe they might have to extend that. But do you think some of our, our sustainability goals are, are unrealistic and in some ways is discouraging companies from, from joining in? It's almost doing the opposite. I think that uh, the sustainability sustainability is a movement. Um, I, I, I think that purpose driven buying is, is is on the is on is on the rise, uh, and I think that there is an expectation uh, that things may take dare I say longer to procure to get mm. uh, point of use. Uh, I, I think there's you know we're seeing big numbers in Europe uh, where where. Um, Asia produce is being reshored to European to the European continent. Um, so Sheldon, Sheldon, that's a great that's a great yeah. point that reshoring, right? Oh, so yeah, as yeah. we nearshoring and bring that in there, a lot of those some of those practices or some of those productions aren't so great for the environment. Is uh, they see that at all? Where are you reshoring that? Is that actually good for the for sustainability in the local environment when you start reshoring? Well, I don't know whether it's necessarily reshoring, but it's definitely nearshoring. Okay. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it's, I, I suppose there are other immediate concerns that are, that, that have caused the, 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 that assessment, um, you know, with, with, with major Chinese ports closing still because of COVID and lockdown, uh, and, and resilience is, is, is a major, major factor. Um, but you see, you, you've, you've got companies that are, that are trying to create a resilient service, but then you've got consumers that are buying you know, with, with with their responsible hats on. So you've yep. got these different these these different lenses that are being applied, um, and and part of being a resilient provider uh, within supply chain is now 
it's it's not enough just to drive resilience because ports are closing. You've got to you actually got to be able to show responsible responsible sourcing to to your consumers as well. Um, uh, it, 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 uh, you know this is a this is a new this is a new slowly evolving paradigm. Yeah, it really um, is. And there's a lot of difficulties out there. We saw Procter & Gamble come out in December and say, hey, we're not going to hit our sustainability goals. We just can't get the recycled plastic in to be able to hit those. So there's logistics issues. There's that, a huge, that I mean, happen. when you look in batteries too, I mean, like the yeah. Rivian CEO just came out. I mean, a lot of things we're trying to get to. I mean, it, just to look in trucking, electrification of trucking. Yeah. Okay, but how do we get past the hurdle of the grid and making enough trucks that can run the batteries? There's a shortage of batteries, the, the, the met, precious well, metals to make them, right? It is. There's a lot of yeah. debate. Right, and we're not always going in the right direction with sustainability. So, is that part of what your group is doing too to have to have these this collaboration? So we're all moving in in the same direction. I got to imagine there's some shippers out there who've barely even thought about sustainability yet. Yeah, true. So one of the major one of the major use cases for Sapico uh, focuses on, on on the social within ESG. Um, so we we actually work at work down in the footprint, um, driving social audit compliance operationally down on the factory floor. Mm. Um, so we provide uh, one, one, of, one of the key, one of the key uh, in- ingredients, if you like, uh, or USPs to, to, to drive a, a truly real-time compliance service is, is to create actionable visibility, uh, create, put, put, put transparency to work um, so we can actually provide visibility to customers, to suppliers, to guest auditors, every everybody that needs to see what's going on down on the factory floor and to provide validation of conditions. Whatever they happen to be, when I say factory floor, they could be farming conditions. Uh, it could be it could be a chemical factory with eyewash facilities. Uh, it could be uh, ergonomic working space at, at, at an industrial sewing machine in a garment factory. Um, so that all of the all of these different areas that need to be that need to be managed, uh, where where there is a, an increasing risk or increasing lens being shone on um, on the need to protect against reputational damage and brand damage. That's uh, right. With, with so, the- Sheldon, when you. Down the road. Sheldon, when you talk about that 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 lens that that you have that you have there, one of the most important things there is for the outside world to see exactly what you're doing and in the correct manner, because you can get sued for greenwashing and all this yeah. other kind of stuff. We've seen That's others, right. like uh, I believe it was Unilever. It might not have been them, but I think it was them. Two trillion dollars they believe they lost because they didn't get their ESG uh, uh, narrative out there good enough for in sales and lost talent and stuff like that. How do you manage that? So again, so 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 the ESG ratings—that's an interesting one because previously it's been, in my view, a very top-down, uh, glossy brochure approach to to you know providing ESG you know um, credentials, uh, and that's all been about valuations. Insurance companies want them. You know, companies going through mergers, acquisitions—they're they're wanted for valuation purposes. But in terms of really. Uh, Creating something or, or implementing something that's effective and moving the needle in terms of ESG, nothing's really done it in the past. Um, so it's it's been about and and it is about implementing solutions that work down in the footprint that that take a bottom up approach to driving sustainability, whether it be whether it be environmental gotcha. or, or social. 
Hey Sheldon, yeah, Sheldon, we're running a little. Sheldon, we're running a little short on time here. But if people want to connect with you, they want to further this conversation. I, I think we've gotten the point out. They understand uh, to get collaborative, they need to work with your software. Where do we send them to? You can send them straight to LinkedIn. We'd love to connect. Uh, at sapico.com or they can look me up on. Uh, I'm a bit of a power user, uh, as many of us are on LinkedIn. Sure. Uh, and I would love to chat directly with people, um, cool. and we can take it from there. Or, um, awesome. Thank you, Sheldon. We um, appreciate your time today. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, sir. All right, with the, guys. with the growth of Loves and Speedco Nationwide Network, Tire Pass has evolved in delivery method. It's delivery method, always meeting the needs of your drivers wherever they may need it. Whether in lane at Loves Travel Stops, inside a truck care or Speedco service center, or at an on-site terminal, making Tire Pass part of your driver's pre-trip inspection can inform them of any tire-related concerns. To learn more about Tire Pass, please visit. Tell them, dude. Hey, go to loves.com immediately after the show. Transfix is modernizing the way freight moves nationwide. The Transfix Intelligent Freight Platform combines a digital freight marketplace, intuitive software, and dedicated experts to drive performance to your modern supply chain. Get a free quote at hey, transfix.io. Hey, our next guest, he has a little video introducing himself that I ripped off of his TikToks. Let's take a look at it. All right, we got to have a serious talk about electric trucks and the electrification of vehicles and the problem that nobody seems to be talking about in the electric car community. Now, the problem isn't the batteries when it comes to trucks. Battery technology is getting better every single year. We're getting higher C ratings, more power, faster chargers. It's not so much the battery and the transitions that we got to worry about. It's the pure amount of power these things use in our electrical grid. So now a logging truck's gonna use anywhere between 1.5, 2 megawatts of power. There's 5,000 logging trucks in British Columbia alone, and that's just one industry that there's 5,000 trucks. Total, that's 10 gigawatts of power for demand usage. Site C Dam they're building has a capacity of 1.1 gigawatts. When these trucks, just logging trucks in the province alone, are gonna require 10 gigawatts of power per day. How do we maintain that? We haven't invested in our electrical grid. We don't have the infrastructure, the transmission lines, distribution lines, or generation to fill all these trucks that they go electric. So now you're talking about blackouts, brownouts of power. Unless we invest billions upon trillions in our electrical grid, we're not going to be able to go fully electric. That's why I say diesel hybrid. Have a diesel generator with electric drive motors at the back. It's the best of both worlds. An electric motor is incredibly efficient high torque a diesel generator running at peak rpm is incredibly reliable and rather than lugging the engine down and then back up again constantly that's one of the hardest soot and emission loading a diesel engine running at peak rpm and peak efficiency is incredibly efficient in terms and clean in terms of its emissions that's why i think diesel electric is that gap stop that we're going to need as we go electric Sure, as the grid infrastructure gets better, we can start sizing the engine down, making the diesel motor smaller, making the battery bank bigger. But I think the diesel-electric hybrid is the way forward of the future to bridge that transition gap until our infrastructure gets there. And for some reason, I don't hear anybody else talking about this, and it's driving me nuts, but we need diesel-electric if we're going to go electric. That electric grid in Canada sounds about as good or as bad as, as ours in terms of supporting all these electric vehicles. Let's yeah, talk absolutely. to uh, Chase Barber, CEO at Edison Motors. You may remember him. He came on about a year ago. We're talking a little bit more about TikTok, but he's all grown up now, building electric trucks. Chase, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> I, lo- I love it. Up there. You look like you're in Canada right now. 
Canada. Yeah, yeah, that would be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can kind of see this behind you. I think I see, I'm seeing like solar panels near a truck or on a truck. Is that the Edison behind you that we're looking at? Okay, can you see her now there now? Yeah, 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 yeah. we got her. That's Beautiful the Edison looking. prototype there. So it's based on a 1962 Kenworth. That we're essentially, we figure we're going to be building a prototype from the frame rails off. Let's put it on something real cool, like an old 60s. I, I think it's brilliant. What are the solar panels there we're watching? What is that for? Things I've got in the background. I run my shop off of solar here because it was way cheaper than hooking up to the electrical grid. Oh, okay. Oh, Honestly, they wanted $20,000 to... Wanted twenty grand to hook up just to the electrical grid, and I built all the solar panels and all that, and ran the shop off it for like three grand. So we're doing all right. Well, you know trucking and solar, right? So is that how you decide to combine the two and make this engine? In the way you describe this truck, it sounds a little bit like what Hylion's doing with the Hypertruck ERX, where they have an electric motor, and then I believe it's natural gas generator on mm, board. That's right. So it's using power from from one another. Is this kind of a similar concept to that? We're pretty well doing the same thing with Hylian, but instead of going to natural gas, see the issue with natural gas is they're trying to change too many variables at once. We already have diesel motors. We're not trying to reinvent the light bulb. So what we're going to do is we're going to stick that diesel generator, hook that up to electric motors. And if natural gas improves in the future, we can add a natural gas, but it's like modding a video game or building a race car. Don't change two variables at the same time. So, Chase, you're absolutely right. It is kind of a, a, a race there, right, to get things done. And you're saying, don't try and make, be perfect. Let's get there as steps. And, and get, So how long is this stopgap going to be there, and how long till you th think you've got yours to that point where you can enter the market? Oh, we're thinking probably about four months we'll have that prototype running. We got the diesel generator ripped out. So over the last two months, we hey, we completely stripped this old girl down. Uh, took the old Cummins for a big cam 400 out of her. We stuck in a cat 3306, got that all shimmed engine mounts built in. We got the new rear ends attached. So now I'm just waiting on the batteries to get here in about a week. And I'm thinking about three months to put it all together. Once that works, I'm going to test it, figure out what works, what doesn't work, what we need to change. We're going to build prototype number two with what we've learned. Cause we're not going to get it perfect. We're not aiming for perfect. We don't have a team of 50 engineers that are going to be sitting around for two or three years where uh, we got a couple of engineers, but we're putting things together and figuring it out. So after prototype two, we're estimating about a year. So we're thinking next summer we should be able to offer it and we're going to start doing retrofit kits. So if we can take an old truck that already has a chassis, put a generator on the back of that motor, if it's got a decent motor, and then just drop the disc, put in electric axles in place of the disc, drop one fuel tank, hang out the batteries where the fuel tank is, and put the rectifier under the sleeper, and there we go. You can take an old truck, you know, she's 20, 30 years old, and put a brand new running gear under it, and you got a brand new efficient truck. It saves, and then we don't have to tool up a massive production facility. We just need a couple bay shop like we got, roll a truck in, the mechanics tear it down, put in our components, send it back out the door. Now, you do some really demanding work. You're a logger up there in the wilds of Canada. What kind of range do you expect out of something like this? And do you think it could meet the demands and the high stress of something like logging? Well, infinite range. It's got a diesel generator putting the power. We don't need to plug it in. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we think uh, uh, logging is the best application for this thing. Because the problem with Tesla and Hylian, they want to go after the, the hybrid or the... Uh, U.S. market of on-the-road trucking, pulling dry vans with 80,000 pounds. And I think they've got that idea wrong. 
is after that because there's not much advantage on a hybrid. A highway truck in the U.S., it gets up to speed and it stays at speed for hours upon a time. It can't take advantage of the regen braking and it doesn't need the high torque, high power that electric motors provide. But logging is the best application for these electric vehicles because you think about it, out on the West Coast, Pacific uh, North Coast here, what you got is you're always coming down a mountain when you're loaded. So that regenerative braking puts power back in the batteries. Then you use, then use that battery power to send you back up the hill. So you're using the potential stored energy of the logs to go down the hill, charging up the batteries, then use it. And then if you need a bit of a range extender, you just fire up the diesel generator. She charges the batteries through the rectifier on the fly. Jeez, I got a question. I got a question for you. I got. A qu I was wondering though about the electric engine. So on a regular diesel truck, if you have a diesel engine, you could you you could do engine braking, right? How do you do that with an electric truck? So you know what the difference between a generator and an electric motor is? Is where the mechanical inputs coming in and out of. So on a generator, you have mechanic mechanical input going into a big magnet that's spinning in some copper wires, and that produces power. Now, on a motor, you have a magnet spinning in copper wires, drawing load, putting out mechanical input. So you can turn a motor into a generator just by changing where the input. So when you're coming down the hill, you've essentially got a load. You have mechanical input going into that motor, and you can get the power out of the motor. So unlike a Jake brake, which, you know, is about 50, maybe 60% at the max of the horsepower of the engine that gives you hold back, with the electric motor, you're getting about 100% of the hold back and like an 80% efficiency. So you're getting the full horsepower, the full torque of that electric motor coming down on the jake. So it means you even have a stronger e-jake, I guess. Wow. Okay. That makes sense to me. Because I thought it was just the braking and they would heat up and kind of, you know, start smoking, maybe well, catch not, fire, that, that type of that stuff. Would be but, bad. but this application, yeah, right. So this, but this application here, so you're talking about the power that is there. Is this for, uh, other than logging, like construction type of vehicles, that type of thing, where they need that low end torque, that real high stuff? Oh, yeah. Any kind of construction vehicle, vehicles that are vocational and they're in the city driving, stopping, driving, stopping. That's your biggest advantage. And then you think about all the auxiliary things that need that electrical power. Well, you got 250 kilowatts of standby power ready to go for whenever you need it. Think about all the tools you could run. Imagine a hydrovac. You know how many cities have like noise ordinance that you're not allowed to run engines before 7 a.m. because you wake people up for 8 a.m.? Well, if you got an electric vehicle and we're putting in about 100 kilowatts worth of battery, you can run a hell of a lot of implements quietly. You can get onto that job site at 5, 6 a.m., run quietly until 7, until that generator needs to turn on. So imagine a back truck that doesn't need to run the diesel generator. Get some nice, quieter Dyson vacuums on there. And, like, you, <laughs> the biggest complaint about back trucks is the amount of noise they make. Like, there's so many bed trucks, electric winches. Like, imagine you're moving drilling rigs and your bed truck is moving around silently. Like, you can hear people and talk to people without the noise of, like, 10 trucks running their diesel engines. So, Chase, when you're out there in Canada buying your diesel by the liter, uh, how much, how many liters can you put into that, that generator there? How many gallons can you put into that generator? How long would that last you, I guess? Like, what, how does the miles per gallon change with this type of system? That's the one thing that I haven't really wanted to kind of go in because we're looking at logging trucks and we've done the math on logging trucks. And because you're using that potential energy of the logs, you get like an 80%, 70% reduction in fuel. But I don't want to come out and be like, Yo, you got a 70% reduction sure. in fuel. Then somebody tries it out on the highway and they're like, I'm not getting 70%. And you're like, this is a special niche case because we're building special niche trucks. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's hard to say. But you can imagine the fuel savings if you use no power or no throttle going up 
And then when your truck is empty going back up, you use no power going up, no power going down. You just maybe need a little bit of range extension to get to the mill. Like, come on, you got the motor shut off 70% of the time. I think we could all do the math on what the fuel savings is going to be there. No, I dig it. I love the this trucker-led company that is working on trying to solve this problem with real-world experience. You know why you're putting things on there. You know why they're necessary. People who want to learn more about this project, where do we send them to? Uh, TikTok. We're on a, a <laughs> underscore Edison Motors. I had to put an underscore in front because I wasn't quick enough on getting the Edison Motors TikTok once I announced the company. We also got a website, but that's not very good because I built Wait, it someone myself. Scooped you? Wait, Chase, Chase hold on. Someone, drama. someone scooped you on the, uh, on the company name? Yeah, I announced it on my, my TikTok, which is just Chase Barber. And then, yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're doing Edison Motors. And like 20 minutes later, a bunch of Edison Motors TikTok handles got Son taken. And the guy's like, yeah, you want to buy it off me? And I'm like, no, fuck, I'm not paying you money for trying to do that. Son I'll just put an underscore in front and call it a day. Son of a bitch. That's, That's awful, cool, man. You man. can't trust anybody, especially your own TikTok followers. No. What's the world coming to? Wow. <laughs> you should follow Chase on TikTok because when he's not, when he's not talking about the Edison, he's 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 incredibly funny talking about logging and trucking and some of the issues. Even ice yeah. fishing, he was on there. Um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, go check him out on uh, wait, what's your regular TikTok before I let you go, just so people know? It's just Chase Barber. It's Chase just my Barber. name. I didn't realize we were putting on cool handles on TikTok. Everyone's got like heavy hauling fool and like loose and chaos. And I'm like, I just used my name because I didn't realize we were supposed to have cool <laughs> handles. What would your name be? Oh, I don't know. I didn't think about that. I'm not creative enough. My name is just Chase Barber. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's just go with that. I think your brand's good enough. Th thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me back. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, brother. Enjoy Peace. that. Uh, enjoy that nice air up there. It does look really pretty out there. Oh, it is, man. It looks used to go there every year. The wilds of Canada. Yes. Well, beautiful. let's check. Let's check, check up. I can't even speak right let's now. Let's do something. Let's check up with the back the truck uh, team. It's like check up back the truck. It was too many checkups. By the way, backthetruckup.com is live now. We have like over 30 pieces of content up on backthetruckup.com. All of our writers rifling things up every day. I think we even just covered uh, the British Race Truck Racing League, which is super neat. We'll get into all that. Let's bring them up. It's Rooster and Super Trucker Justin Martin. Boys, how you doing today? Doing well. Doing great. Doing great. So one of the things, so one of the stories that was going on on social yesterday that I thought was really interesting, and I immediately sent it to you, Justin, because of your USPS background, was that viral video of US, UPS versus USPS. We have the video real quick. Let's yeah. play it, then we'll talk about it. All right, break it down for us. Break down this rivalry for us. What were we seeing over there? Well, back in the day, there used to be some pretty bad blood between the carriers, but nowadays everyone kind of knows you got to cooperate, stay alive in this game. So it looks like both of them kind of ran into each other on their route. And uh, you, can, you can see which one ran back or walked back to the truck rather than run. Yeah, I think he gave up. I think he just lost and just said, ah, hell. He's getting that government money. He's like, yeah. The brown yeah, the brown yeah he's thinking run. I'm paid by the hour, and my union's going to yell at me for running yeah, anyway. So. Yeah, he might have been more upset fight. that he was caught on camera, right? <laughs> now, what, what, do you, what do you make of when you look at this video? If you worked, Rooster, if you worked for UPS or the, or the post office, what would you do if you ran into another carrier? Uh, probably keep uh, one of those little toy snakes in my pocket. That way I can throw it at him. While I'm running to make wow. my make my drop ball first. 
All right. See, there's always guys out there that want to keep the rivalry going. It tried, like yeah. they're, people are trying to come together. They're trying to have a peace circle. These different carriers are trying to, you know, just agree on the surcharges they should hit shippers sure. with and all that stuff. Meanwhile, they got the drivers out there uh, running wild. Yeah, I definitely would have hip-checked him. Now, if you guys had a pick, though, you're <laughs> shipping a package, right? You're receiving a package. So you're not a shipper. You're just a person buying Ooh, something. Okay. Who do you have the most confidence in? USPS, UPS, Prime, or FedEx? If you want it there accurately or quickly. <laughs> well, which one would you pick? You have one choice. You got to have ten, five seconds to pick it. Uh, you know, I still got to go Team Blue. I love team my guys. Blue. Wow. Yeah. USPS. Oh, How about okay. you, Rooster? Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of particular toward uh, FedEx, you know. I just come off a contract with them, so, you mm. know, I got to show them a little bit of love. Yeah, no shade here. How about yourself, Michael? Vincent, you're not, you don't have any contracts with anybody. You can say, you can talk I, as much I, shit I, as you I, want. I can, watch, I can talk shit as much as I want, can't I? Um, yeah, USPS. <laughs> USPS, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so for me, it's, it's UPS, no doubt. Really? I, I don't know. I find their tracking to be the most reliable when I have things shipped by them. I know I know that brown truck's coming up. Amazon Prime, the least confidence I think I have. So many times oh, it yeah. says the truck's coming, and then it just yeah, uh, it, doesn't do it, it just Fs off. And then you get that message, like, your shipment's in transit, but we don't know, like, when it will be delivered. Yeah. I, I, USPS has done me well. Hey, let's take done a look. me well, especially through it. Let's take a look at this racing video. One thing that went viral over the weekend was this. I, I hadn't heard of it. I, I don't know if you guys heard it. Let's take, let's, let's take a look at these trucks go around <laughs> the track here. This is uh, well, Rooster. You wrote oh. the story. This is, the, this is if I understand, it's a British truck racing league. Am I not mistaken? Oh, look, there's a wipeout. Oof. <laughs> uh, British truck racing championship. There's also another one, a European truck racing championship. Uh, both of them, you know, Goodyear sponsors everything, so you know they got the, that that label somewhere. But yeah, it's uh, the season just started up. They uh, they had testing last weekend, and you know, gonna kind of follow it. You know, great substitute for NASCAR with all NASCAR's antics. You know, I will. I I just want pure racing. I don't want politics. Hmm. You know. No, I hear you. I hear you. Thing, it's not. And another thing, it's not going roundy, roundy, roundy. It's this is Formula One tracks. This is yeah, 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 yeah. Like Atlanta, Atlanta Motor Speedway. This is European road tracks that you know you get a lot more excitement out of, more enjoyable. You know, you're not just watching somebody going round and round and round. It turned right every once in a while. Did you notice in that video there that they let the the guys with the bonnets, I guess the noses, come off the line first? Yeah, they got Fords and they got the cab overs. They got oh, them I both didn't notice they got the bonnets first, but I think so. Do you have an unfair advantage if you've got a bonnet on your truck there? Because you know you got to extend it. It's like running a race. I stick my arm out. I cross the finish line. If you're doing it the whole race, what do you mean? Like at the end, you still got to go the same fat. At the end of the race, if you stick your hand out, then you win. Like the, the but it doesn't lead. give you just a little but bit of a. What do you guys no, think? I, gotta, does the bonnet give you a cheap advantage? What no. do you think, Justin? I don't think so. No, you don't think. What about you, Rooster? Any edge counts. Like Ric Flair used to say, "If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying." <laughs> I mean, the trucks are the same length, so it doesn't matter. You know, just driver's seat placement. That, that's right. a good thing because we're talking about that. Well, Use the thermal scan and it should be the right. Well, that's what I'm saying. If it was unfair, maybe they could put a thermal scanner and then like the way you win is when your ass like crosses the finish line. So it's your ass that counts, not the front of the truck. And that would make it fair. Yeah. The entire I truck length. I like it. Are they, how long, how long are these uh, races? Uh, I, I was looking on the live stream and it, the live streams look like it went for six hours. Uh, they're actually broken up. Uh, the one the stream you looked at, there were four races in there. 
that was uh, from the testing that they did, I believe, last weekend. And they run a Saturday and Sunday, four races each day. Uh, I believe it's March the 7th to the 8th, if I'm not mistaken. That's the actual first race of uh, European racing. Uh, British racing actually started, they're already in their season, so they're like two weeks ahead. They may be in, I think they're in their second race coming up this weekend. Okay, where in where in Europe are these races? So this is this is just Britain, UK? Okay, let us introduce our friend Brexit here. British <laughs> racing leans around Britain, European racing leans around yes. Europe. Yeah, sure. Ah. So, but uh, they can. They, do yeah. they cross over at all? Do they allow competitors from other leagues? That's what I mean. I also want to know where to expense Actually, a trip to, so we can duties. go and watch this thing in <laughs> yeah, person, boss. <laughs> so help me now out here. Import, where is this? import duties? You can't cross. Well, London's leagues. fine enough. Let's just go to London. Who? I, I vote for London. I will go. Did they to, put sleepers on these in the like twenty-four hours at Le Mans and type of like that? Are, are these in the U.S.? What, is there a racing league in the U.S.? That's that's my next question. I uh, last. Last I've heard about truck race in the U.S. was like uh, the the car hauler races they have every once in a while. I don't think there's actual big truck racing in the U.S. anymore, but mm. it's it's hot in Europe. It's very popular. You know, it's right there with the Formula One racing. It's the same tracks they use. Uh, I believe it might be like the weekend after a Formula One one race. Uh, Europe truck driving racing. They actually have the. Uh, I believe it's the third the well it's the, the rookie drivers race the same mm. with the truck drivers then their formula one tier one and tier two drivers they race on a different weekend nice so go check out that article on back the now it is 420 we, we we gotta we gotta talk about the elephant in the room big conversation been going on online is ever since they mentioned that in new jersey cops could smoke weed truck drivers are like hey what about us? Justin, let's start with you. Should truck drivers be able to smoke weed on their off time? Absolutely. You can have a beer. You know, you hit the clock, go home, have a beer. Anyone who shows up to work uh, inebriated should be walked out. Absolutely. I'm not condoning uh, or saying that anyone should ever operate you know, a heavy vehicle under the influence. But your own time is your own time. I'm with him 100%. If you can smoke weed at night and then come to work and carry a loaded gun... Uh, you should be able to drive a truck and not be under the influence, I mean, you, but enjoy it at night. Look, anybody who's smoked a lot of weed and really? drank a lot of alcohol can tell you that a hangover is a hell of a lot worse than like a near-death experience. Far where worse. You don't really get a hangover with the weed unless you take like, a ton of edibles. You're doing like shatter. You know, you're doing like, you know, you, I, I don't want to get too into it. Uh, <laughs> how about you? <laughs> how about you, Rooster? What do you think the driver should be able to do? Uh, Hey, it's America. We have freedoms, you know, if you... Do whatever you want, you know, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But as long as you don't DUI or DWI, whatever they call it, hey, do, do what you want. Free country. They, they need to get the saliva test. That's what they call it. They need to get those saliva tests, right? They need to get the saliva test so it shows when you're under the influence versus that you smoked three weekends ago. With, yeah, because that was the issue before, was it not? That if, you, if you tested, it could have been three weeks ago, you ate some, too many edibles or an edible. Guys, we're almost out of time here. Uh, you have about 10 seconds. Rooster, what do you want to throw out there? What's coming up on the site? Uh, what I've got in the docket right now is uh, doing a quick little sonar rate, talking about cost operation, and uh, we'll see what else we got. Go to backthetruckup.com. You'll see all in there. Justin, what's happening on social? Anything good today? 
Uh, Taking a closer look at the God Trucker Act, um, there's lawmakers that are trying to pass overtime pay for truck drivers. Um, companies that pay per mile instead of per hour. No idea how that's going to uh, work with them, but uh, good keep stuff. Closer. Good stuff. Go to find us all on social media. Look at back to check out. Find me at Timothy Dunes. D W O N E R. Find him at Vincent the Dude, Rooster, and Super Trucker on there. Subscribe to the shows. Don't be a stranger and tell them how to be. Peace and love. Spread it everywhere.